This podcast was produced on Thursday, May 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The staff gave me my resignation letter and to sign. And I look at the letter, I look at them. The prime minister was not there, that was the staff, the staff, people over there. I look at them and say, I won't sign. What? You said to the prime minister that will resign and now you don't want to sign your letter of resignation? I say, no, I won't. Maxime Bernier, Mad Max, the Albertan from Quebec. However you'd like to call him, the boy from Beauce has been readying his bid to be Conservative Party leader for years. Pretty much as soon as Stephen Harper announced he was stepping down, Bernier was getting ready to step up. If you want to go with pun-based names, not Mad Max, I think you should go with Feel the Bernier. <laughs> a journalist, a journalist that I like, describes me as the Albertan from Quebec. Because, because I sounded like a Western conservative, despite my bad accent. I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. A year ago, it was just Bernier and Kelly Leach running for the Conservative leadership. Now there are 13 candidates. But throughout this long race, Bernier's campaign theme hasn't changed. Freedom, smaller government, lower taxes, and a respect for the Constitution. I believe in individual freedom and personal responsibility, and I think that we must have more freedom in Canada, less government. Uh, we must go back to our core values as conservative, and I'm ready to do that. As we head into the final stretch of this long, 14-month-long Tory leadership race, we decided to bring you an interview with the frontrunner, of course, this race isn't over and things can change. But not only has Bernier raised the most cash, more than $2 million, he is consistently ahead in public opinion surveys. He got a big boost when his primary challenger, Kevin O'Leary, bowed out of the contest and endorsed him. Kevin O'Leary, a millionaire businessman and reality TV personality, was seen by many as a front runner. But today, he suddenly bailed out. You say you are having a hard time picking one of the 13 that yeah, there's nobody really that's wants- a star. The only one who really has any sort of star factor, I think, is probably Maxime Bernier. I met Maxime Bernier for tea in March. I interviewed him as part of HuffPost Canada's profiles on all the now 13 Tory leadership candidates. Can I have a green tea? A Maxime, it's quelque chose? A daikon, please. Uh, do you have a regular tea? Orange pico or old grey? Old grey, yeah. He didn't have time for lunch, so we met in the basement of the cookhouse and cellar on Spark Street, just two blocks from his Ottawa office. And I started off by asking him why he's running. Because I'm ready. Because I'm, I'm ready. And, you know, all these policies, uh, uh, it's based on uh, speeches that they delivered the last 10 years. Uh, when I was a member of parliament and when I was not minister, I had time to travel across the country and to deliver speeches about conservative values. And, uh, and so I think that's the right policies. And it was easy for me to have a strong platform in the beginning because, you know, the foundation of, this, uh, of, of that platform is uh, it is the speeches that they deliver. So for me, uh, I want to do that because I 
think who will be able to build a better country. So did you enter politics in 2006 knowing that this is one day you would run for the leadership of the party? Um, no, but uh, I was in the private sector uh, before. I was VP of a financial institution. Uh, I worked in Montreal. Uh, my daughters are in Montreal, my ex-wife and my girlfriend. So, And I decided in 2006, after having a dinner with the uh, prime minister or the leader of the opposition at that time, uh, he asked uh, me some uh, advice and with other people on the platform for Quebec. And I told him at that time, you know, the right platform would be to say to Quebecers that will lower taxes like all the other Canadians. They are the ones who, who are paying the most income tax in North America and respecting the Constitution. That was part of his platform in 2006. And uh, he asked me to run and I had an opportunity. So I went back uh, in my writing in Beauce, uh, where my dad was elected. Bernier's father is Gilles Bernier, a former popular radio announcer who won successive elections during Brian Mulroney's time in power. He even won his seat as an independent in 1993 when the Tories were all but wiped out from the electoral map. I had read a story that the Conservatives actually wanted your father to run. Uh, actually, yes, he said no. And also, um, Prime Minister Harper asked him when we were in government, Gilles, do you want to be a, a senator? Maybe you'll be a good one. And my dad said, no, no, I'm too old for that. And, uh, but he was pleased to, uh, it was kind of a me joke, but he's very well known in both. And, uh, you know, after him, uh, the story is uh, Jean Chrétien, wanted our, our, our writing. He wanted to have that writing at the election of 1997. So for being sure, my dad, he, uh, my dad was a member of parliament at that time. And he said, Jill, do you want to be an ambassador in Haiti? And I thought, oh, that would be. And so he was an ambassador in Haiti. But he said, one condition, I don't want you to, be in, to, be, to do politics during the campaign. And I want to be sure that my guy will win. My dad, I won't be able, I'll be in Haiti. So Libol was the member of parliament in 1997. And when I ran in, in 2006, uh, that uh, the member of parliament resigned and he decided not to run again. And we were three new candidates. So, and uh, since them and their members, and I'm very proud. So your father was a member of parliament. Yeah. But before that, you were born in? Uh, I'm born in saint georges de beauce It's a small little town, uh, 35,000 people. Uh, it is the capital of Beauce, uh, like I like to say. Uh, beauce, it's, uh, as you know, south of Quebec City and, uh, and uh, up to the border of the state of Maine and Canada. So I'm very proud to be a Beauceron because they're very entrepreneur in Beauce and uh, there are, they are a lot of uh, manufacturing industry. Uh, and also the interesting part in both, maybe people, they don't know that, uh, they are very federalist. It is where I learned the values that go with entrepreneurship, self-reliance. And, uh, and so I um, grew up there. And after that, I went to uh, university in Montreal. And after that, university in Ottawa. I did uh, an economic degree in Montreal and a law degree in Ottawa. And uh, I worked after that uh, as a young lawyer in McCarthy Row for only two years. I didn't like it, um, and I went to the um, uh, private, I was in a, in a law firm, but I went to a national bank at that time, and I started uh, uh, working with uh, entrepreneurs, and uh, and so, yes, most my, my career in the private sector was mostly um, uh, in the financial, with the financial institution. 
Why didn't you like it? I, li I like the economy. You know, uh, um, my girlfriend, uh, she uh, liked to tease me when we were in holidays and I'm reading on the economy and said, why are you not relaxing? I said, I'm relaxing. I like it. <laughs> what type of child were you? I was not uh, first in class. I was not last in class. I was uh, a little bit uh, above the average. Uh, I like to do sport. I was uh, playing uh, football and uh, I was uh, tall and skinny. And uh, so what do you want to know? <laughs> I mean, like, were you mischievous? Did you have like hidden talents? I was not good in English. Uh, you know, in, in Cegep and in my, I went to a private school uh, at, at college and we have English school and I was very bad in English. Uh, I, I was also so-so when I started here in 2006 and I think since then I improved my, my English a lot. So I still have to work on it though. How did you meet your first wife? Oh, it was at, um, uh, that's, it was at, um, a vernissage, how do you say that? A like an art opening. Uh, an, ar an art opening, yeah. So thank you. An art opening. And she was there with uh, some of her friends. And I was there with uh, young lawyers from a law firm. And so, so we were looking at it. And I don't know. And we said, do you want to have a, a drink with us? And we, the boys and, and the girls went after that. We didn't know each other. And we went for a drink. And we had fun. And I, I did a follow-up. And it went very well. <laughs> so... I was with her for 13 years, and um, I said, and she, she said, I said, we didn't succeed our, our, our marriage, but we succeed our divorce. And now she's uh, my best friend, and, uh, and, you know, we have a very good relationship. Uh, Sometimes we have dinner, my girlfriend uh, and her uh, boyfriend together, and so it's a good relationship. I'm, I'm very happy, very proud of that. Did you split before you started politics? Uh, yes, uh, a year before. You know, the problem when, uh, uh, when I decided, I was working in Montreal, so I, I was coming from Bose, but, you know, I left Bose at 18 years old. And uh, when I came back to run in Bose, uh, my campaign manager told me, we have a problem with you, Maxime, as a candidate. I said, what do you mean a problem? You have a name, but you don't have a fir first name. So my dad was very well known. Bernier was very well known, but didn't know me, Maxime. So the goal was at the end of the campaign, they must know Maxime. In the beginning of the campaign, they were saying, oh, yeah, that's Gilles Bernier's son. Uh, and now people in Bose are saying, oh, okay, um, Gilles, uh, Maxime's father. So, so we have to build that because I was not working in Bose. Uh, but yes, my dad helped me a lot in the first uh, campaign and he's 82 right now, and he's still uh, setting member membership right now in both for being sure that we'll have the, the support that we need. <laughs> a little bit later on the show. It was tough. Uh, it was tough. Uh, I thought that uh, I must resign as a politician, as a member of parliament. Maxime Bernier recounts living life under a microscope after his ex-girlfriend Julie Couillard's ties to biker gangs were revealed. Early in the morning, in, I was in the news uh, at new, uh, uh, during the day and at the end of the day and on every newspaper. I didn't know about her past, so I was learning at the same time. Uh, and so what I did, um, I went to a, a, monastery, a monastery for a week without any uh, uh, television, without any radio, without any uh, phone, and think about 
me and my future. So your first position uh, in cabinet was industry. Yeah. Um, you got some pretty good reviews from people like um, Fresher Schultz at McGill yeah. University. Oh my God, you did your own work. <laughs> um, there were also, though, some parts of your tenure at industry that seemed to go against the grain of what Maxime Bernier, the leadership candidate, is selling. <laughs> were there any decisions that you made in the Harper cabinet in your own portfolios that you feel in hindsight, you shouldn't have made or you wish you could have rallied your cabinet colleagues as to your side. But let's speak about corporate welfare. The industry department, that's the department who give subsidies and grants to big corporations. So uh, I didn't like that. And uh, but, you know, I respect that because it was not in our platform during the election. So uh, and I had a discussion and. They told me, Maxime, it's a, it's a big change. It was not in the platform. The members must uh, uh, decide to that and, and we'll look next time if uh, we put that in the platform or not. So because what I did at that time... Maxime Bernier says he decided uh, he would instead name and shame the companies that were getting government loans, often with loose reimbursement schedules by posting grants and subsidies on a public website. He also decided he didn't want to be the public face of government largesse. But also at the same time, I was very popular with my cabinet colleagues because I didn't want to be in front and being in a press conference and giving uh, $400 million to a corporation and uh, smiling uh, with, the, with the, the, the CEO of the corporation. So each time we had something like that, I was calling my cabinet colleague, do you want to do that announcement, this announcement? And so all the other ministers, they were doing the announcement on my behalf and on behalf of the government. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, now I have built my own platform and, and I think we must abolish that. It is not fair. Some people, though, suggest that what you're pitching um, is, a pretty, it's, is a pretty radical suggestion, a pretty extreme point. If you look at the auto industry, for example, and the bailout that the federal government gave, if you'd been prime minister, would you have done that? <clears throat> You know, it's a, it's a hypothetical, hypothetical question. Uh, at that time, we did it, but uh, I will put everything in place not to do it and not to do it. It's, uh, you know, if you end that, you must have other things for these big corporations. And what I, what I want to offer them, it's no more capital gains tax in Canada. The uh, accelerated capital cost allowance, when you invest in equipment, it will be for every industry. It will be a permanent feature of the tax system. And like that, will have more investment because they will be able to depreciate that on three years. They will have a better cash flow, a better value for the corporation. So more investment. If you're making money, you'll pay lower taxes. And after that, if you sell your corporation, you won't pay any capital gains tax. So that's a huge argument to tell to these people in New York or, I don't know, Amsterdam, uh, come to invest in Canada. So if you abolish that, you must have something else to offer. And we have something else to offer, but not only to big corporations, to every entrepreneur in this country. I guess that the question is, how rigid would you be? Is there flexibility in your plan? If no. you know we have a recession, is a but Maxime Bernier government willing to no. change? No, because spending money won't create any wealth and job in this country. You know, 
the Trudeau government said in the first budget, we will spend $30 billion a year and look at the budget and we'll have an economic growth of 1% more. Our economic growth was 0.2%. They said we'll spend $30 billion. We'll have an economic growth of 2.2% next year. What did... What do we have right now? The Bank of Canada said the growth last year was 1.2%. So they spent all this money without any increasing the economic growth. So, and I understand that you cannot create growth with government spending. It's when entrepreneurs are investing. So that's why you must balance the budget, lower the tax for entrepreneurs, for Canadians. And like that, you'll have economic growth in this country. But what if your lack of uh, or your government's lack of willingness to invest in an industry would lead to the collapse of that industry like no. aerospace for example no, no they're very good they're very good why it's it's a great industry it's because a, every other company in the world is heavily subsidized by their uh, own governments. you're right you're right but it will be the only country in north america where they won't pay any capital gains tax uh, will be the country in North America that will have the lower taxes to businesses. So we'll have other things, and that will be interesting. Uh, I, I don't think uh, that will be the end of the world at the end. Would you get rid of all regional development agencies yes. as well? Yes. You're the first one to ask me that question. I'm uh, in, thinking in that's debate. not going to make you very popular <laughs> with your <laughs> colleagues. In the debate, I, I was waiting for that. I was waiting for mine. Of, Maxine want to get rid of the regional agency. Oh, it's very bad. I was waiting for that. I didn't have that question. Thank you very much. Now they know that, yes, I will. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to tell us that you would get rid of? <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> uh, well, you did talk that you want to get rid of boutique tax credits. Oh, for sure. It's We did that to buy votes. I don't believe, I want to be fair. My platform is based on fairness. You know, the, uh, the firefighters, we give them a tax credit uh, because, you know, it's important to have their vote. And so I, I want to cut that. But the firefighters will have more money. They will have more money in their pocket, like all the other Canadians with that tax reform. So that will be a fair tax reform. Yes, all the little boutique tax credits will eliminate that. But it won't be enough to uh, have or um, uh, implement our, 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 our tax reform. The cost of our tax reform will be around $30 billion a year. So you mean you'd, imp you'd bring in your tax cuts after the budget is balanced? Yeah, the first budget would be a pro-growth budget. We'd be able to do that because <coughs> uh, we'll, we'll take the corporate welfare, uh, abolish that, use the money to lower the corporate income tax and abolishing the capital gains tax. So that's about the same. The second budget, I want that to be a balanced budget. And the third or fourth budget with surplus would be able to implement our tax reform for Canadians. When you talk about corporate welfare, do you include um, like shred and different? No, good question. Uh, the R&D credits are very good. It's helping uh, small businesses to develop new technology and, and big business also. Uh, maybe we, we will have to improve that, but that will be one of the programs that would be there. Uh, and. Uh, because it's it's a real plus value so yes I'll, I'll keep that kind of program so basically when you say corporate welfare you just mean you're uh, not going to give loan, money okay uh, the subsidies and loan okay. if a corporation is not able to have a loan on the private sector maybe their project is not profitable so why the government and the taxpayer will take the risk so no the private sector is there for that that's their job to take the risk it is not us uh, uh, consumers and the population
After cutting his teeth at industry, Bernier was appointed, a year and a half later, Minister of Foreign Affairs, one of the government's most high-profile portfolios. But in 2008, his rising star fell, after Bernier left classified NATO-related documents at his former girlfriend's house. The news landed just as Julie Couillard's ties to organized crime were making headlines. The controversy was dubbed the Couillard Affair. Here's what former Prime Minister Stephen Harper had to say at the time. I hear that one of my cabinet ministers has an ex-girlfriend. It's none of my business. It's none of Mr. Duceppe's business, none of Mr. Dion's business. Mr. Duceppe and Mr. Dion are quite a group of, of gossipy old busybodies. After industry, you went to foreign affairs, which is a very big promotion. Then you got involved in a little bit of some yeah. scandal. Yeah, a little bit, a big one. <laughs> no, they, uh, you must admit that. Uh, I did a mistake and uh, it was a tough time for me. Uh, I had to resign. Actually, the good... Uh, the funny thing about that is it's funny right now. It was not funny at that time, <coughs> but um, I met the prime minister. I told him that I have to resign. He looked at it. He was very surprised. That was a Monday morning. And um, and he said, OK, come back in a couple of hours and we'll have another discussion. And so he said, me, OK, I will accept your resignation. And uh, so I went to meet his staff and the staff gave me my resignation letter and to sign. And I look at the letter, I look at them. The Prime Minister was not there, that was the staff, the staff, people over there. I look at them and say, I won't sign. What? You said to the Prime Minister that will resign and now you don't want to sign your letter of resignation? I say, no, I won't. So the big panic, and I stay calm for a couple of minutes, a huge panic in the cabinet and all that. We'll call the Prime Minister and say, yes, you can call him, but I won't resign. And after that, they asked the question, why? I said, why? I cannot resign in English. I, want a I will write my own resignation later and it will be in French. <laughs> they all laugh and I resign. <laughs> how did you live that? Like it was tough. Uh, it was tough. Uh, I thought that uh, I must resign as a politician, as a member of parliament. Uh, I didn't know what to do. Uh, every time in the news, every day, the morning, and the Early in the morning, in, I was in the news uh, at new, uh, uh, during the day and at the end of the day and on every newspaper. I didn't know about her past, so I was learning at the same time. Uh, and so what I did, um, I went to a, a, monastery, a monastery for a week without any uh, uh, television, without any radio, without any uh, phone, and think about me and my future. And that, that, uh, that helped me a lot. And after a week, uh, I decided, okay, I'll stay in politics. And uh, I had, uh, the election was in, uh, I resigned in May, and the election was in fall. And I said, oh, I'll do my best. So I was uh, running in my, in, my, uh, in my riding and doing the campaign in the fall 2008. Uh, and uh, I was very stressed. I didn't know, and so all the bad news that I had, and so I said, you know, and uh, I, I've seen, a, I was do doing no door to door, and I seen a guy, and he said, you look very stressed, and uh, I said, yes, um, you know, uh, I hope I'll be elected. And um, he looked at me, and he said, Maxime, I always remember that, he said, you'll have the biggest majority everybody will vote for you because you did a mistake 
and we can understand that but don't do that again <laughs> and i said i won't and he was right i was elected with 68 percent of the votes and uh, so i learned from it and uh, and i'm very pleased that right now i'm here and uh, and you know uh, i can have a bad day now in the media or a bad week in the media and i know that it is not the end of the world <laughs> i had three four bad months in the media and um, so it's give me more insurance more assurance uh, assurances uh, yes sure thank you and so yeah uh, and now i can speak i was i'm able to speak about it right now e easily but uh, during that time uh, and a little bit after it was uh, it was very tough also did you learn that you had left your documents at her house through her yeah yeah so yeah. you had no idea basically the news kind of surprised you came out of the blue yeah. and it was drip 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 for several weeks yeah yeah and, and um and uh, I had uh, been investigated by RCMP and special investigator, and uh, and um, uh, I remember the last interview with the RCMP with my lawyer, and he started the interview, and I was the last one that he interviewed, interview everybody around me, and so usually, and um, he said in the beginning, I just want to let you know, uh, Mr. Bernier, that you're a witness in that, and my lawyer says, stop, okay, you're saying that he's a witness. Yes, it's very important, and uh, and and he said yes, and my lawyer said okay, we'll stop. My lawyer spoke to me and said, you know, it's the first time I've seen that there are CME saying witness, and he said, you know, we just have one question for you. You told us something about that, and we were not able to verify that. So can you give me you, us your uh, cellular, and we'll be able to know where you were. You know, with the cellular tower, they know where you were, and they did a checkup, and they said everything that you said, it's it's being backed up by proof so you're only a witness and uh, and they were doing an investigation about about the documents and about uh, all that so the official thing it's uh, i forgot my document but the non-official it's maybe she took it but you know it's 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 back it's 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 not important anymore uh, and after that it was not a secret document because it's all based on the press conference that i did in europe so it was a preparation for the press conference. And I said all that publicly after it. So that's why after that, the, these documents were not secret anymore. But on the document, it was still secret. So, so that was a tough time, that investigation and, and so. When you say that RCMP investigated you, was that related to the, the nature of the documents the or related to her, Everything. Judy Quial's allegation of her sort of a biker past uh, and, and wondering if there was a connection with you there? No, they, they knew that they didn't have any connection. They knew that they didn't have any connection. And... Uh, and, and they knew that they didn't know anything about her past. <laughs> you know, you're with a minister and you say, oh, you know, my ex-boyfriend, you don't say, you don't say that to somebody that you, you want to be with. So, so no, and um, no, they, they, they agree with, with the reality of what happened. I've had a document and what happened is that uh, Maxine came to my house and the document in question was left at my house. What kind of document? Um, and for now, what I can tell you about this is that that document made me very uncomfortable.
and I was referred to a top lawyer in that field uh, to tell me how to react and what to do. Uh, I was told by my lawyer that the, the document in question was the property of our government and it had to be returned to them. Did you feel that you were deceived by her? You know, that's, that's bad. I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, the mistake that I did, I'd bring that document at her house. So that was my mistake, and I assume it, and that's it. So I don't want to, yeah. So you resign. Oh, yeah. And uh, you're sitting on the back bench. In French. In French. <laughs> and you're sitting on the back bench, and you decide, I'm going to take this opportunity to do what? Um, but before that, um, I, I received a call when everything went not so well, and I was in the media uh, from Brian Rooney. And he called me, he said, how are you, Maxime? I said, oh, so, so. No, no, he said with his strong voice, how are you? I said, I don't know what to do. And he gave me the best advice. He said, Maxime, speak to your people in both. Your people is both elected you. They need to do that to know, to know that first from you, and the journalists will follow. And he was right, and I did that. And after the election, when I was elected, I was uh, very happy, very proud, big majority. So I called Brian Maroney. And I said, oh, I'm very happy. I think I'll be back in cabinet. And Brian said, I don't think so. Uh, you know, it's too early, and you'll be member of parliament. And, and do your job as a member of parliament, for the, as a, not a minister. I was a member, but a member of parliament, not being a minister, because, you know, I, I was elected and early a minister. And so he said, do what you have to do at a, as a member of parliament without having any responsibility as a minister. And, uh, and that will come, but not right now. You must have to wait. And he told me in between, go and speak to the members and, and do your time, use your time to speak for about what you believe. And I did that. I started the blog and I started to deliver speeches and I really enjoyed that time. Because it seems like you kind of used that opportunity to paved the way for this bid. You spoke to chambers of commerce yeah. in Western Canada. Yeah. You used the blog and other, I mean, you were yeah. on HuffPost, for example, yeah. um, speaking to Canadians about your vision and not encumbered by having to make compromises, perhaps as you had to in cabinet. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'll tell you another anecdote. When I became minister after that, after four years of traveling and speaking about real conservative values without any compromise, and I was, you know, uh, we did some deficit at that time, and I was against that. I was speaking as a conservative against that. And so sometimes the government didn't like that. And um, I remember that Jim Friday, you know, before uh, uh, being snoring in, uh, as, a, as a cabinet minister, we were at the Rideau Hall. And so I entered the room before that, and Jim Friday was there. And um, that was after the election, uh, after the, the, my third election. So I was the uh, Minister for Small Business and Tourism, State Minister for Small Business and Tourism. I saw Jim Ferrity. Jim looked at me with a huge smile. And I said, welcome back, Maxime. I said, oh, yeah. He said, I'm so happy that you're back. <laughs> you, won't you won't critics my budget anymore. <laughs> Thank you.
I want to move on to some of the things that you have announced in this election platform, this being the conservative leadership platform. I want to ask you about equalization. Yeah, my preferred subject. You uh, say it's not fair. Yeah, it is not fair. <laughs> How would you fix it? It is not fair because, you know, it's a poverty trap. It is not fair for provinces who receive it, and it is not fair for provinces who, who give the money in the equalization. I will fix it. You just need a cabinet meeting. The equalization, it's, uh, it's in the Constitution. I don't want to change the constitu Constitution, but the formula, it is a decision from the federal government. So what I'll do, like I said, I'll freeze the amount first because it is increasing every year, and we'll have a consultation. Uh, a parliamentary committee across the country will do some consultation for a couple of months, and they will bring some recommendation. And after that, we'll, uh, we'll have a cabinet meeting and we'll have a new formula. Are you not worried that your home province will you know, wave, stand up and wave their arms in the air and say Maxime Bernier is being unfair to us? No, because I said that it's not new for me. I did a very speech in French in Quebec six years ago. I said, you know, I'm not proud to be a Quebecer when we're receiving equalization money. That was all in the news in, in Quebec in French. And I said, you know, we must not receive any equalization because like that would be a rich province. So the population, they will understand that. But maybe the politician at the provincial level, <coughs> they will have to adjust. And, uh, and maybe they won't, they won't like it. But we have the authority to change it. And so we'll do it. You've also talked about fixing health care yeah. by transferring tax points to yes. the provinces. How would you ensure that if you do that, you there is still a similar quality yeah. across the country. So that if you're in PEI, which obviously is a smaller tax base with only 140,000 people, that you still are not waiting, you know, six months longer to get cancer treatment and that there is a, a similar treatment across the country. That's the question. That's a very good question. And how are we going to do that? Uh, you're right, because a tax point in Ontario the value of that tax point is a little bit higher than a tax point in New Brunswick because they have more rich people over there. So the way to do that, the Constitution has the solution. It's by the equalization. So we'll use the equalization money to give more money to a province where the tax point is, uh, where a province like uh, uh, New Brunswick, sorry, like a province like New Brunswick, the tax point is not, it is not the same. So we'll transfer money to help them. So will there be a Canada Health Act? Will there be we principles need, and the similar and, and, basket and, and, of services? And maybe, at, and maybe at the end we'll have a mixed system with more private delivery and less public delivery or both. But I won't decide that. Um, you've spoken about privatizing Canada Post. Yeah. <laughs> you've spoken about privatizing the airports. Yeah. You've not said you want to privatize CBC. No. <laughs> <laughs> Explain the, these reasons to me. Because we need a public... Um, uh, CBC and Radio Canada uh, and we need one that will respect their mandate and the mandate is very clear in the law and I want to be sure that they will respect the mandate. They must be there to talk about what's happening in Canada having a, a discussion of what is the uh, public affair discussion in New Brunswick and we need to have correspondent uh, uh, in other countries, in other cities. Uh, things that the private sector, they're not doing that. So Radio Canada, we need that to uh, CBC in Montreal in Montreal to be able to deliver services in English. We need Radio Canada in French in, uh, in Moncton and in uh, uh, Saint Boniface. So I want them to focus on their role and I want them also to uh, try to have more money from, the, from the, their viewers with a kind of a PBS model. But I know that the federal government will have to 
to invest in a CBC because there's a cost for that. Um, the environment. Yeah. You're definitely opposed to a carbon tax. Yes. We all know that. But yeah. what would you do about the environment? What I will do, you know, <coughs> we have a lot of programs at the federal level for that. And uh, I want to have a, uh, a program that will give the right incentive to businesses to develop new technology. So, you know, the, uh, I told you that R&D uh, credit are very important. Uh, something like that, that will help them to develop technology to fight uh, not only climate change, but uh, pollutions when they are producing a good or uh, manufacturing something. So let's, uh, let's, let's have a program that will give the right incentive to businesses. And I think it's not the time to impose a carbon tax because, first of all, as you know, our uh, competition, uh, the, uh, the U.S., they want to impose one. And I don't believe in a neutral carbon tax. In B.C., it was supposed to be neutral. And at the end, we know that it is not neutral. I want to ask you about immigration. You came yeah. out with your policy in January. Um, you want to prioritize economic immigrants. Yes. You're suggesting that we lower the amount of immigrants that we accept, but not by a huge amount, 250,000, yeah. I think. Yeah. But the average that we had the last five years. Uh, but if the private markets want more economic immigrant, we'll be able to increase that. You know, the demand will come from the private sector. Same thing for the refugee. I want us to focus on refugee that will be sponsored by the private sector. So one of the things that struck me from your immigration policy yeah. is your emphasis on keeping the cultural character of the country. Um, and you talk about radical multiculturalist. <laughs> What are you talking about exactly? <laughs> what I'm saying, I believe in pluralism. I believe that all these people are coming in Canada, uh, f uh, and, and the new Canadians and, and the immigrants that came in Canada the last 75 years for our fundamental Canadian culture. I don't agree with Justin Trudeau that, you know, we are a citizen of the world and there's no Canadian culture or, or values. There are one Canadian's values, it is freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, equality before the law, equality be between men and women. People are coming here for that. And, and so that's uh, and what I want to do. I want to do what we did the last 75 years. I don't want to change this, the way that we are selecting our immigrant. It's very good. You know, well, the way I read it, I wondered if what you were saying was we would like to emphasize immigrants that have more likelihood of sort of melt, melting into the Canadian culture. We're looking for sort of people with Western no. Western uh, values, uh, sort of keeping that sort of Anglo-Saxon character of Canada? No, absolutely not. You know, uh, I'm very pleased to have a lot of support of new Canadians and ethnic communities in Toronto and in Montreal in this leadership. And they like my, my policy on immigration. So basically, you're just staying status quo. But except for the number, except for the numbers, the numbers, I want to go back to what we did in the past. Fewer immigrants. Yeah, a little bit fewer. But we'll adjust that with what you need. Well, I don't believe in mass immigration. That's what I'm saying. So we're running out of time. So I'm going to ask you three very short questions. Um, recently, you were uh, Twitter erupted over this meme of the Matrix, which is actually the second time you've used it, about the red pill and the blue pill. And as you know, some people tweeted at you and said, hey, do you know what the red means it's uh, a bunch of men who are very angry at women who are are, are using this uh, to uh, project um, uh, well it's a form of discussion for them basically but it's called the red pill and some people suggested well you know were you aware of this and if you weren't why don't you just delete your yeah. tweet okay first of all everybody knows that this meme is coming from the film 
And, and so if you go to uh, uh, on the web and you read it out, it's coming from the film. These people, they took that for their own interpretation. Answering your question, I didn't know that these people exist. So when I did that tweet, it's all, all about the movie, all about the red pill and the blue pill and saying, you know, take the red pill because it's the reality. But you didn't want to delete it? No, why? To say why? I, didn't do any, I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, it's, it's, it's a movie, and for me it's a movie, and the big majority of Canadians, they understand that. If, they go to, if you go to Wikipedia and you Google that, it will, be re- it will be the movie. But yes, other people interpret the movie in another way. I'm interpreting the movie like it was in the movie. It was not that in the movie about anti-woman. And it was not in the movie. These people, they use that meme for another uh, another purpose. And I'm using that for the real purpose of the movie. That's why I tweet a couple of minutes after that. Oh, oh just wait. I, that's about the movie. Only that. Thank you. That's it. You change your position on transgendered yes. rights. Yes. This, this government bill, yes. Bill C-16. Why? First of all, because uh, I voted for, because uh, uh, I voted against discrimination. And that was the main reason why I, why I voted for that bill. And after that, and that bill alone, after that, I had discussion with a professor at the University of Toronto who told me that, Maxim, if you interpret that bill with the Human Rights Commission bill at the provincial level, the interpretation, it's against freedom of speech. So, and but you, I, you I, do understand, though, that this professor in particular yeah. is a very controversial figure. Bernier is talking about University of Toronto psychology professor Jordan Peterson. Last fall, Peterson refused to use gender-neutral pronouns to address students. He suggested that Bill C-16 would make him a criminal. The bill amends the Canada Human Rights Act to prohibit discrimination on the grounds of gender identity and gender expression. I, because I don't believe that other people have the right to determine what language I use, especially when it's backed by punitive legislation, and when the words that are being required are the constructions, there are artificial constructions of people I regard as radical ideologues whose viewpoint I do not share. But after that discussion, I say, I think you're right. Freedom of speech, uh, and if you look at these two bills together, it's against freedom of speech. So I wrote a piece about that. I said, I think I did a mistake, and I want the Senate to uh, vote against that bill. The Transgendered Bill of Rights, however, isn't the only controversial piece of legislation that Maxime Bernier has supported. When he arrived on the Hill in 2006, the Quebec MP voted against gay marriage. He said at the time that he was representing the views of his constituents. He has since changed his mind. This March, like most of the Tory caucus, Bernier voted against M103. That's a motion that condemns Islamophobia and all forms of racism. It also calls on a commons committee to study how systemic racism can be eliminated or reduced. I was opposed to ML3 since the beginning, and I think I was the first one to tweet a couple of hours after she tabled the motion uh, for a lot of reasons. First, why only focusing on one religion? Second, what is the definition of Islamophobia? Uh, And third, um, uh, and the most important one, the freedom of speech and be able to freedom of religion also at the same time. Some people feel that they should have the right to say whatever they want about Um, Islam and their fears, for example, that Islam oppresses women. At the same time, though, we have uh, Muslim clerics in this country who say really outrageous things from their (laughs) pulpits, you know, basically calling uh, non-believers heathens and whatnot. 
Do those people have the same rights to freedom of speech in your mind? Yes, and because we have uh, we have legislation, we have the criminal code. So if they're doing that, the criminal code is there for that. Hate so, speech. So, so hate speech. So so they will be responsible for what they're saying. So if this if they're saying something that is hate speech and proven from a tribunal, they will be responsible for that. What about pot? Yeah, <laughs> I said that I'm for the uh, decriminalization, and I'm open to legis to to. Uh, um, Legalization. Uh, legalization. You Thank want. You. you said you wanted to see what the government came that's out with. That's it, and that's the same position. So I'll read that bill and I'll, I'll decide. But as a free marketer, don't you think <laughs> all all private businesses, private businesses, should be allowed <laughs> to sell weed? I want to see how they're going to do that. And as a free marketer, you know, I'm a libertarian. Like, a, and people like to call me the libertarian. I said yes on the economy, but I'm a reasonable libertarian. So I think that uh, if they're doing that, we must see the regulation, and I'll wait to see that bill if I will vote for or against. The federal liberals tabled the marijuana legislation a few weeks after Bernie and I chatted. He's since said that he's open to legalization, but he wants to take more time to study the government's bill. Is there something I didn't ask you that you would have you liked me, me to ask? You asked me a lot of uh, good questions. No, I'm very pleased, and uh, thank you very much for giving me the, this opportunity to explain a little bit more my platform and speaking to uh, your viewers and your auditors, uh, who is Maxim Bernie. I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It was uh, great. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Next time it would be in French? Parfait. <laughs> of this episode of follow-up subscribe to our show on itunes soundcloud or wherever you listen to your podcasts tell your friends tell your family we're nice people uh, you can get in touch with us by reaching me on facebook or twitter at althea raj a-l-t-h-i-a-r-a-j a hearty pre-conservative leadership convention shout out goes to our talented hard-working co-producer zian lum our tireless technical producer stephanie warner and andre lau our executive producer I'm Althea Raj. See you in two weeks when we bring you this podcast from the Tory Convention. It'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs>